Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are so glad to have you on the FBC Young Adults podcast. I'm John Lemons, the minister to young adults at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm joined by Sam Maxwell, our ministry resident to young adults, and we are on week two of Holy Ghost Stories, which is our look through the month of October at Encounters with the Holy Spirit. We'll hear some of our personal stories. We will look at the encounters that people have had with God or with the Spirit of God as it's described in Scripture. And hopefully we'll be able to give you some tools to be able to discover and think through and curate the experiences that you've had in your own life. And hopefully through that, we'll be able to deal with what to do when there are no such encounters, when you feel like maybe you're in the desert or when you wonder why God is so silent or if he cares or is even there. So today, Sam and I are going to share some of our stories. And next week, you'll hear from our minister to kids and families here at FBC, Kristen Prasad. And we'll follow that up with our senior pastor, Travis Collins, the week after that. We are looking so forward to sharing this with you. But before we do, Sam, how you feeling, buddy? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been a couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, I very much always look forward to doing these podcasts. It's a uh, it very much reaches into some areas of my life and my skill set that I don't get to often use. So it's this is a, a breath of fresh air, um, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> and so and you are coming off uh, probably your your craziest week uh, here yeah. at FBC. And, and for those who do not know, it was fall break last week here in Huntsville in Madison County. And so we had a lot of people traveling or out of town or whatever, but uh, if you if you were here, you got to see or hear. Uh, if you weren't, you may not know, but but Sam preached this past Sunday in our worship services. It was his first time preaching here at FBC. Sam, you did a fine job. And uh, wondering how you how you felt about it, or um, you know what is it? Because I always look at my when I when I preach, like I'm kind of my harshest crit- critic, and and I will uh, I will go over it and be like, oh, I should have said this here. Or, so I end up agonizing over mine usually when I when I go. But are you the are you the kind of you know preach it and forget it type, or are you sort of pouring over it afterwards? Yeah, I mean it's it's a little bit of everything. I think I think one of the biggest gifts, even though it didn't feel like it at the time, is you know Travis kind of has an idea of when he's going to be out and when he has places for guest preachers. So I knew I was going to be preaching months ago. Um, so as I came into the end of September and looking to October, like I started having that stress and the anxiety around it. Um, so I think by the time I got to it this past week, I was just like, yeah, I'm over this. Let, let's just get the show on the road and get it done. Um, and also, I mean, as people probably recognize, or if you don't realize, we do have the pre-produced um, version of our um, services that we do each week that are recorded throughout the week prior to um, this, the Sunday morning services. And that itself is also a gift in the sense that once you get to that point, you have to have your sermon done. Yeah. And once you give your sermon, like you're not going to go and make drastic changes or ch- create new movements or whatever else so at that point you just have to say whatever i have today when i record it it's done and i have to take my hands off of it yeah um, you know i i know uh, my wife really wanted to read it and she just got tied up with a lot of other things and she was like i have an idea about this and i was like sweetheart we're gonna have to save it for next time because i'm I'm done it, it can't be changed it, it yeah. is the way it is and i know that was frustrating for both of us but there is a freedom in it just saying it's done this is the way it's going to be just enjoy your next couple of days, prepare your heart and your body and your emotions for everything that's going to happen on Sunday morning, and then just go do it and be faithful to the words that you put on the page. Yeah, man, that's so true. It is a it is a gift, as you say, to have that. We've not had that before. And when I preached in July, I got to benefit from that. And so for those who don't know, we do a sort of pre-programmed service for those who are watching at home or on TV that's more geared towards the viewer as opposed to what's happening in the room. And and so we we film a lot of that throughout the week, and then the sermon's the big portion of that. And we have been filming the sermon typically around Thursday lunchtime. And so when I preached back in July, that was the first time where we'd had that, and then we'd had a worship service right afterwards. Because previously, before COVID, what we did was, you know, just what happened in the room is what you saw on TV. Mm. And so I think this has been a kind of a neat and cool thing that we've done to to make it more interactive for the viewer at home. But also has was a gift to me, and I think for Travis as well, because there's no Saturday night marathons anymore where you're staying up, like crunching in the last details of your sermon. Like that puppy needs to be ready by Thursday morning because you have that hard deadline of the video, and uh, and then it frees up the end of your weekend, which as a pastor and, and occasional preacher, I appreciate. Like it, you know, when I when I preached in July, it gave me two days before I had to preach again to just kind of sit in it and and actually have some rest. And spend some time with family and, and that kind of thing. So it is a nice, nice little bonus there from from yeah. this uh, all this COVID stuff that we've had going on. 
And one of the other things about it that just dawned on me is when you do the pre-recording, it's just you and the cameraman and the mm-hmm. set. Um, but it is your first time producing an oral presentation of the sermon, mm-hmm. right? So you're already getting into that mind. So once you do it on Thursday, you have the rest of Thursday and Friday to realize, like, I've already done a third of my sermons for this week. I've already started into this um, creative um, demonstrative process. And so I think leading into Sunday morning, people were like, well, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, I've already done it once. So even though it's 8.15 on Sunday morning, I've already done it. I know what the words are. I know how I'm going to move, how the words are supposed to be expressed at various points in the flow. So it wasn't show up on Sunday morning, dead drop, figure it out. (laughs) Right. No. And and for those who've never spoken before, the more you do it, the more you do a particular message or speech or whatever it is, the the better you're going to get at that particular one. And, and, you know, usually the first time you give it is when you get a sense of, oh, this isn't going to flow as well as I thought it would or, or man, that was better than I thought it would be or whatever the case is. And so, yeah, when you have that on Thursday, you kind of, you kind of get that feeling to there when you can go in Sunday morning and, and kind of already have an idea of how it's going to feel. And that is a, that is an absolute bonus for sure. Uh, so, well, man, you did fine. You did a fine, Thank fine you. job. And uh, I, I want to say uh, you were extremely comfortable. You looked really comfortable on stage and behind the mic. And I want to say that that is due uh, in part to this podcast. I'm going yeah. to just say that that your comfort behind the mic is uh, in part from from doing this together. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I'll take as much credit as I can get for, for <laughs> well, your I think job it's, on Sunday. I think it's true, right? Because over the summer we did Bible-ish, yeah. um, which was things we think are in the Bible that really aren't, that we've kind of constructed in something new. So essentially, and there was one weekend you were out and I had to do an additional one. So I did for the summer where I had to essentially create a sermon and then present it in front of a film mm-hmm. um, during the early pandemic we had our little devotionals that we did which was like the first first one and now we've been doing all these podcasts which is just a bit of becoming more comfortable with kind of being a public face of sorts and being able to talk and be very thoughtful with what you say and how you say right and the emotional and tonal flow of what you say as you go through the words that you're giving so i completely agree with you i think a lot of this has been excellent excellent experience and just i mean it's just been a hoot basically it's just been a lot of fun that's awesome man well, speaking of the podcast, let's jump into what we're going to talk about yeah. this week. And, and we did an intro last week, so if you didn't catch that, I urge you to go back and listen to that to just kind of get an idea of where we are going to be going. In this particular episode, Sam and I are going to tell our stories. And I know for me, it's going to play off of what we talked about last week. I will give you a brief kind of recap, if if you just, just to refresh your memory of what we did talk about. We What we're doing here is we're talking about sort of unusual experiences that we have in our faith life uh, with the spirit or with Jesus or whatever, whatever the case may be, or just the presence of God. And I will say uh, on that note, uh, because there is a, there's a difference between sort of this transcendent experience that's sort of outside of you where you know, like, this is, this is something unusual that's going on. And there's a difference between that and just sort of feeling a sense of sort of inspiration or a, a sense of adoration, I guess I should say. You should feel something when you read scripture. You should feel something when you sing or when you pray. You should feel like a little, you know, burning in your chest or lightness or or whatever you want to talk about. Those things should be fairly common. You should have a sense every now and then, you know, a thought come to mind. You're like, oh, I wonder if, you know, this is the the guidance of the spirit. Those, Those things should be fairly common. Not, you know, not like all the time. Although this is, I think, where we differ a little bit from those who would be in the, you know, in Pentecostalism, I think they would, they would interpret those things as happening much more frequently than, than I would. Um, but there is a difference still between even that and between these sort of monumental things that happen in life that are, that are life altering and that I think are really what the encounters that we see in scripture are getting at. And I do want to be clear too on inspiration, because we talked a little bit about the inspiration of scripture last week. And I don't want anybody to think that I thought the writings of scripture were just kind of these writings and people haphazardly came upon them afterwards. We're like, Oh, I think these would be, uh, this would be good to, to kind of live by. I believe the Holy spirit absolutely inspired the writing of scripture from the writing of scripture, from the encounter that led to the writing of scripture. And with that, we have to believe that the, the spirit inspired the, the sort of recognition of, of scripture. And part of believing that scripture is inspired also means that we believe that it is inspiring for us today as we read it. So I do want to make sure that is clear 
in case it wasn't. I mean, I didn't get any feedback one way or the other, but but as I listened to it and like I said, kind of picked apart the things that I that I share and talk about, that is just one thing I wanted to elaborate on a little bit more. I do believe how it worked was the spirit moved dramatically in people's lives. They shared it with each other. They began to write it down after some time so that it can be preserved. They told it as much as they could. People began to compare their stories, sort of a, oh, you too, this you experienced this as well. And then certain stories and words were preserved because of who certain people were, um, or in, in, case, in some cases, what they described that were uniformly recognized as inspired and used to help balance out other encounters. We talked about them being the canon, which just means the, the measuring, measuring rod. So there were certain ones that were recognized as these are bona fide, genuine experiences that the rest of us ought to weigh our experiences against because these are like these are legitimate ones. So all that said, just a reminder, too, I talked about there being four characteristics that were not exhaustive or not definitive in any sense of the uh, word or uh, any sense of this this topic. But these are just things that I have found or I have seen in my own personal life and my own personal study of Scripture and those sorts of things. So these four characteristics are one, it's personal, meaning there is something definitive that has happened to you. And I use that word definitive purposely because number two is you have a yearning to define it. It stands out as a defining moment in your life or an unusual moment. You may wonder, what do I do with this? It may change the course of your life or whatever. Number three, you may begin to doubt it or memories will begin to fade after some time and you may sense a need to memorialize it somehow, even if it's just through journaling or if it's a practice of, hey, this is my story and I'm going to tell it or you know, maybe there becomes an annual thing where you recognize it and, and sort of celebrate it annually. Uh, whatever it is, you typically have a sense or a need to possibly memorialize it somehow because you it doesn't happen all the time. And that's the fourth one. It's not something that's going to happen very often in your life. In the experiences that I've seen, I would say a handful of times, you're going to have some sort of encounter like this or some sort of thing where you look back and you realize God was more present than you than you were aware of at the time. But after some time goes by when it doesn't happen very often, you you can tend to doubt it or wonder if it was legitimate or real. So I'll get into my stories kind of with that as our backdrop. I grew up in and out of churches growing up. My family had sort of a falling out with a church before I was born. So they maintained faith. They maintained sort of a practice of faith to some extent by the time I was born, but they were not regular members of a church. My earliest memories of church growing up was visiting a lot of churches. We would go to a lot of Pentecostal churches, but never one in particular. We would always kind of hop around there. You know, there might've been two or three that we went to more than others. And then I have very, uh, I have a lot of memories of watching church on TV uh, in some cases. And, and for me, that wasn't bizarre. That was just kind of what I was used to. And I, I had an interest in it from the beginning. I can clearly remember that. I can clearly remember just being interested in spiritual things really from the get-go. And uh, I, I have very distinct memories of, I used to line up my toys and I would preach to them. Uh, I had this little pocket Bible, I guess, from the Gideons or whatever. Uh, and I would line up my toys and I would just pretend to be a preacher because that was what I saw on TV. And then I would move into that, from, into playing, I would move from that into playing the family feud with all my toys, uh, <laughs> like I was the host. And uh, that's actually kind of a bad combination. Like if you think about it, like you, you don't want to get into the word of God and be like, survey says, but uh, that was just what I remembered being on the TV in my home. And so when I would pretend as a kid, like those were kind of my two go-to things. And sometimes I would blend the two as well. But like I said, I always had an interest in it. And I remember when I was eight years old uh, and even, even before then, but even at this time and after this time, I had an interest in even reading the Bible on my own. I remember telling my parents one day around this time, like, Hey, I'm going to read five chapters of the Bible a day. And so I started with Genesis one and I got through Genesis. I think I got to Levit Leviticus and, and bowed out of that plan. <laughs> but uh, for for a seven, eight, nine year old or whatever, like that was pretty audacious, I think. Uh, but for me, like it wasn't unusual at the time. It, you know, it was just something I had an interest in. And when I was eight, eight years old, my dad sat me down and explained salvation to me. And I was like, OK, yeah, I want to do this. And so I lied down on the floor of my living room. I prayed the prayer and I had this feeling that overwhelmed me. And, and I, I don't know how to describe it. It was sort of a light weightiness. Um, and if you've experienced it, that makes sense to you, maybe. If you haven't, I, I don't really know how how else to explain it. In some sense, I would say it's a little bit like the feeling you get when you first fall in love with someone or maybe, you know, a lot of people can remember their first crush or something like that and sort of the feelings you had with that. I, it, I would say it's similar to that and sort of like 
you just have this this feeling sort of welling up inside of you, but it, it's it's beyond that as well. I still experience sort of remnants of it today every now and then, but not often and not as strong as I remember it. I remember at the time telling my dad about it, and he said, that's the Holy Spirit. And he had a very similar experience himself. He he grew up going to church, left church for a really long time, uh, joined the Navy, you know, was a chain smoker, um, still, you know, a decent decent person, but went to a revival in the 1970s and just had this really emotional experience with the spirit. I remember part of his story is he walked out and threw his cigarettes away and, and never touched a cigarette again, which is rare for a lot of people, but that's part of his sort of dramatic experience. And so I had something sort of similar where there was just something I could point to that was a definitive, like this happened, this was weird. And it was really my first experience with something that was sort of beyond me. Um, and like I said, I had sort of tastes of that later on. I can remember once we got to the church that I would end up calling my church home when I was 10, I had some other experiences in in that youth group and, and you know, these, these feelings of kind of being overwhelmed by something, but nothing quite to that extent. Moving on in my life, um, I had sensed a desire to be involved in ministry for some time. I realized later that that was unusual. I can remember going to summer camps. We went to Centrifuge a lot in my church growing up, and I can remember thinking like, man, I want to be like the camp pastor someday. I want to do that someday. And I realized that was unusual, and I shared that with my friends, and and I was like, don't you don't you guys want to do that? And they were like, no. <laughs> so I'd always kind of had this, I guess, openness to ministry. Uh, but as as I got older, really, um, I did not feel equipped or led to be a pastor or a youth pastor, and I didn't really know anything else. I didn't feel like I had the skills to do it. Um, it was really something where I was like, you know, I want to be involved in church, but I think I could be more of like a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or, or things like that. So I went through high school, got into college, and in college, my initial goal was to go and, and get into broadcast journalism. I wanted to be not behind the camera, or not in front of the camera, but behind the camera. I wanted to be an operator, camera operator, and work for like Fox Sports or CBS Sports or somewhere like that and, and shoot NFL games. And I always had a really, you know, kind of extreme interest in sports. Most boys do. But, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a dream goal of mine was to have a job related in, into sports somehow. So I got into college, realized, you know, if I if I got into broadcast journalism, I probably was going to start out and spend, you know, my first 10 years doing that, you know, in like Boise, uh, you know, working for the local 10 o'clock news or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do that after all. And so I kind of tried my hand at a couple of other things and just kept running into these dead ends. And I got to the end of my sophomore year. and. I was flipping through the course book another time. I was actually telling somebody the story the other day and they laughed because I, I said I had a course book. That tells you how old I am. But I looked through it dozens of times. It was my sophomore year. I was getting ready to be a junior. And of course, you had to declare whatever you were going to do by then. And I was undeclared. And I went back to the religion section again. And I had kind of been interested in religion and philosophy. There were just you know things that weren't were interesting to me. But I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with those degrees. But I just went and looked again, and I'd looked at that page dozens of times before and had never noticed. But for some reason, this one particular time, my sophomore year, in my room, praying about what am I going to do with my future, I went back to this page in our in our course book and saw that in our religion department, they offered a degree in something called recreation ministry. I'd never heard of that. Uh, I didn't really know what it was. I'd never noticed it before. And I didn't grow up in a church that had that. I never saw churches that had that. But it was like, as soon as I saw that, it was like a, a light bulb went off. It wasn't quite as dramatic of an experience as what I described earlier, but it was this definite, like something sort of awakened within me. And it was at that point that I was like, okay, like that is something I can do. That is something that can combine my interest in things that are biblical with my interest in things that are sports related and, and do the two. And if I'm going to do ministry, like that is one thing like I think I could do and I think I were was created to do. So I committed to ministry and from there I grew and developed. And that was sort of my second experience where I, I had this, um, it was really a combo of what, what we talked about last week, where we talked about sort of a dramatic transcendent thing from outside of you, but also this point in, in your life where you look back and you see this chain of events that lead lead you to where you are. And you realize that something was guiding you along that path. And so it was really kind of a combination of both of those sorts of experiences. It was definitely sort of an ethereal experience, but not as dramatic as the first. 
And I've had other experiences like that that were not a transcendent feeling, but more of a chain of events that played out that seemed like something beyond me was opening doors. I'll share another experience that I had in high school. And this one is a silly one. Uh, and, and to this day, it is an experience that I think of often. And I do not know what to do with because it is sort of silly and to some extent offensive. And you'll get what I'm saying when I get to the end of the story. But I was in my freshman year of high school. I was beginning to take my faith really seriously. I was I was praying uh, probably three or four times a day. I would, I would pray at night. I was in a prayer club that would meet before school started. I was in this huge public school in, in Northern Virginia. And so we were there were, you know, 10 of us that got together every morning the first 20 minutes of the day before school started and we would pray. And, and so I was taking my faith seriously. I was owning it. And I was on the freshman football team. And um, so one of the things we would do when we were stretching in, in practice is, uh, you know, you, you take about 20 minutes to stretch before before you start practicing for the day. So that was one of my prayer times. And so I would just pray as I was, as I was stretching and, and my prayer were prayers were pretty much the same at this point in time. And also, you know, I would, I would close my day, you know, in prayer before I went to sleep. I pretty much prayed the same thing every time. And, and I would always finish my prayer by, by saying, God, I just want to score one touchdown this year. And that you have to understand, like I was a nobody on my football team. I was slow. I was small. Um, I mean, you could probably get that impression now, but like I went to a ginormous high school. It was the third largest high school in the state of Virginia. And we were in like the biggest class division. Like I was a nobody. I never saw the field unless we were winning by 30 points. And so for me to even kind of have that in mind was uh, just a pipe dream. I could catch, but uh, I had tried out for the wrong position. I tried out for running back because I hadn't played organized football before. And I was pretty good playing sandlot ball in my neighborhood, but the kids in my neighborhood were not the kids that were playing on the football team at the high school. And so I had just tried out for the wrong position. I was, I mean, I was like beyond scout team running back. And I remember about midway through the season, I told my best friend who was on the team with me, I was like, you know what? Like next year I'm going to try out for a wide receiver because I, I can catch okay. And, you know, I'm just going to give that a run. And so not long after that, my coach comes up to me and I did have a pretty good relationship with him because he was one of my teachers too. And he says, how would you like to try wide receiver? And it was the most bizarre thing because I was like, okay, I've been thinking about this, but nobody else knows that I've been thinking about this except my best friend. And I went to him and I said, did you talk to Coach Elliot about this? And he said, he said, no. And he wasn't the type that would have. He was a pretty quiet kid. And so the coach asked me to switch positions and I was like, okay. And so in practice, they start running me at receiver and I catch everything. And so it ends up by the end of the season, they design a play for me. We get to our last game. Coach calls this play. He calls my name. He sends me in. I go to the huddle. I tell him the you know what the play is going to be. We're we're sitting inside the twenty yard line. So like if I catch this, it's going to be a touchdown. And we call a timeout. And the coach runs out on the field. He comes into the huddle and he's talking to us. And the running back had the wrong play. And it was a running back pass. And so like he did not realize he was supposed to throw the ball. So if the coach had never never called the timeout, that wouldn't have happened. So we get out of the timeout, we line back up, we run the play, he sprints out to the right, he throws the ball, I'm in the end zone all alone, ball goes through two guys' arms, I catch it, get hit, I score the touchdown and hold on to the ball, and that's it. I mean, like, that, that was the answer to my prayers. We took the lead and ended up winning the game, and I I say that um, when I said earlier that it's sort of offensive, uh, because I don't know what to do with that, because all of those things added together are, to me, an unusual chain of events. And I don't know what to do with it because there are, in my mind, silly things to pray for. And if you if you feel like those silly things are answered, why not pray for more? And I feel like that with this, um, you know, and, and as I've been an adult, I've wondered, you know, why would God answer that prayer? And then there'd be things like starving children or, or you know, people who have terminal illnesses or, or things like that. Because there are like legitimate things that are legitimate struggles for people that we pray about and we feel like oh, we don't get answers for. And so that is why I, I, I share this experience to say it was something that was bizarre and something that I do feel like something was in control of, but also look at it as a grain of salt or with a grain of salt. I think it is something that like 14 year old me needed at the time, but as a 35 year old, I needed something else when I got to that age. And, and that's going to lead to the next experience that I'm going to share. But I, I do want to just reiterate, like I still to this day don't really know what to do that. I do think God cares about the things that we care about. But I also think 
we probably should care about things greater than scoring a touchdown before the end of the season. Now that, that mattered to me at the time and, and I'm glad it happened and that kind of thing. And, and like I said, I do see it as sort of a confirmation that God is real and active and he cares about the things that we care about. But I also sort of look at it as, as a sort of, you know, man, I should, I should really be praying for more than that. If, if my prayers are going to be answered like that. Now, uh, again, when I was 35, I needed a little bit more. I needed something else. And, and it was around this time in my life that I went through what I would call sort of a desert experience. And I, I had this point in my life, I was in ministry where I sensed absolutely nothing except, you know, maybe God's absence. And I do want to say like ministers go through this too. So if you uh, feel like you're in a time of, of sort of silence or darkness or whatever, everybody goes through that. Or I think at least everybody does. It can be a time where you pray and you feel nothing. You sing and you feel nothing. You see nothing happening around you. You might have a hard time wanting to pray. And oftentimes this is referred to as the dark night of the soul. It can be something that lasts a long time. It usually results in in like sort of pruning in your spiritual development. It can usually result in a season of extraordinary growth on the other side of it. But sometimes people go into it and never come out. Sometimes like when you hear there's a lot that happens in the news that, that I've seen lately where uh, prominent Christians have said, hey, I don't believe anymore. Uh, and so that can happen with this as well. So it is a very scary time. And it's a scary time when you're in ministry and you don't know how you're going to emerge out of it. It was a very hard time for me personally. It was, I was in a, I was in a place in ministry where, I mean, it was just hard. Church was hard. Ministry was hard. Life was hard. Marriage and parenting was hard. Everything was extremely hard and it felt lonely and I felt abandoned at times. Bible reading was counterproductive. Uh, I would read things in scripture and be like, well, why, why is it like that? It shouldn't be that way. Why did God let that happen? Um, I would doubt things that I'd read in scripture. I would come across things and been like, I hadn't thought about this before. Well, th- this throws everything into question. And I, I began to question sort of the re- reality of it all. And I think um, I do want to say like, your ministers go through this too. So if you're going through this, your ministers th- go through this too. And it is a lonely experience. And there can be times where uh, your ministers are going through this. And, and the thing is, when you're a minister, like, who do you tell when you're going through this? It's hard. You have to have other friends in ministry that you can lean on. But it's hard to, like, have to go through the steps of being a minister and and, and proclaiming the message and, and believing it to be true in some sense, but not feeling it at that particular time. When it is your job to testify to God, what do you do when you just don't feel like that is real? I would even, you know, when I talk about you know, the need to memorialize the encounters that you do have, that is very important before you get into a time like this, because you will begin to wonder in these times, is all of that real? Was I crazy? Was I hearing voices in my head? And that sort of thing. And so I think you need to have those sorts of things to lean on before you get to this point in time. Now, I can distinctly remember the turning point for me. I was, or honestly, it wasn't the turning point yet. It was sort of the the bottom of the barrel I was cutting the grass in my yard. I was listening to music as I was doing that. And a song by the group Fun came on. And in this particular song, there's one verse that is a complete repudiation of Christianity. Um, And it it is sort of a reverse prayer where instead of, you know, something like saying, God, I need you. It's like, God, I don't need you. course of the song says, I put one foot in front of the other one. I don't need a new love or a new life. So he's he's rejecting the message of Christianity. I don't need the love of God. I don't need, you know, the the newfound life. Or I don't need to be born again. So he's saying, I don't need that. Just give me a better place to die. Just give me a better place to die, a better place to live without all the pain, without all the hurt, without all the suffering. Make this experience here on earth better. And I remember listening to that and cutting the grass and it just hit me. And I was like, yes. Like, that is all I want right now. It was a very difficult, lonely time, as I said, where I just felt absolutely abandoned, even by God. And yet, at the same time, I would say 
I had this sense that something had a hold of me that wouldn't let me go. And in spite of this sense of absence, I still had this sense of something having a grip on me. You know, some people would say that's just a guilty, guilty conscience or whatever, but like, I believe it was more than that. And so I continued to try to read, try to pray, even though it wasn't productive. I went, uh, and this was the turning point for me. I went to listen to a friend preach one time and it was great because it wasn't at my church. It wasn't a place where anyone knew me. And so I could just kind of sit by myself in a corner and be a part of it and not have any expectations, not have anyone texting me and asking me like, Hey, can, could I do this for them afterwards? Or, you know, could I go up to the stage and do this, or this, that, or the other, I could just sit in the worship service and not be a minister and just be a worshiper. And I don't really recall much at all about the service. The music wasn't memorable. I do not remember the sermon at all, but the sermon was on Luke 24, and we read it at the beginning of the sermon, and I, I paid attention to nothing else after we read the passage, because it's the passage where the two disciples, uh, it's actually two disciples that we've never heard of. It's a disciple named Cleopas and an unnamed disciple. We're not even told who the other one is. And they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they are joined by Jesus, and they don't recognize him. It's the morning of the resurrection, so the rumor that Jesus is raised is beginning to get out. They're even even aware of it, but they're totally not expecting to encounter the risen Jesus. You can just tell by the conversation. And these two disciples are um, encountered by Jesus, and Jesus explains everything to them. And the scripture says that their eyes were opened, and then they realized that it was Jesus who was talking to them, and then Jesus disappears. <laughs> and they look at each other, and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And I had read that passage dozens of times before. And in this particular place in time, from my life, it just leapt off the page at me. And there were um, two distinct things that immediately stood out to me. And this had nothing to do with the sermon. I don't remember a thing about it. But I remember coming across these words. And one immediate thought that stuck in my mind was, just because you don't see me or think you can't feel me does not mean that I'm not there. And then the second one was, did not your heart burn within you? And like I said earlier, like I'm not one to believe that in every inspirational thought that we get is from the Holy Spirit, and I tend to assume that it's not. But in this particular time in my life, I do believe that both of those were. And as much as I'd read that passage, I'd never noticed that description before, the thought occurred to me that, that yes, this is precisely how I would describe my encounters with the Spirit, this sense of my heart burning within me. And I, I really don't know how else to describe that and to read those words in the scripture from those who would have been disciples who would have walked alongside of Jesus and to get the confirmation that they experienced the same thing that I have experienced in my past, in my past for me was sort of earth shattering. And then I started sort of breaking down the passage right there in the middle of this worship service. And I just started thinking like, why is this here? And the only thing I could conclude was because it had to be Cleopas's testimony. So Luke is writing the book of Luke, and he says at the very beginning that it's a sort of, a, he, he went about doing a lot of research to make sure he was telling a trustworthy tale. And so I began thinking, like, how is this story known? It must have been a story that was passed around. It must have been a story where Cleopas, this was his story. And, and so wherever he got invited to speak or wherever he went, he would say, like, well, let me tell you my experience with the risen Jesus. And so then I began to think, like, well, is this true? And this goes back to why it's there, because nobody knows who Cleopas is. Nobody knows what happens next to him. Uh, nobody knows who his companion is. Uh, we don't know that we're not given. His his name doesn't show up anywhere else in scripture. So it's not like he goes on to become a leader in the church that we're aware of. There's no reason for it to be written this way if it's made up. Like if you're going to make up this account, you're going to use somebody that somebody knows, like a Peter or a James or somebody like that, or, or John. Um, or you're going to use somebody that has a sort of standing in the church after the story. But this is the only time we see the story in Scripture, the only time we see this name in Scripture. So I started thinking, like, by all good reason, this is a true story, and it's Cleopas's story, and this is all he's got. And so this is what he goes around, and this is what he tells. And so then I began thinking, like, this sort of this sort of mirrors our life. Like, like we have a story to tell, and there may not be a whole lot to tell, and we might, may not know what the end of the story is, but but we can tell the experience that we've had with Jesus. And so I started anchoring sort of my story in with this. And then I zoomed out a little bit more and I looked at the disciples them, themselves and think about their lives and how poorly things went for them after they walked with Jesus on the earth. Uh, it's often pointed out to us that they did not think that Jesus was going to die. They also didn't think that they were going to die. Like They thought his return was imminent before, before their lives were going to be over. And they got to the end of their lives and they realized, oh, that's not true, right? They were, oops, like we were wrong about that. But the testimonies that they shared, they wrote them down. 
and they or they had them written down so that they could be preserved and they could continue to be shared. And and then I began thinking like, what would possess you to do that? That you were super wrong about this one thing, but I'm going to tell you this other thing and I'm going to tell it to the point of death because we know they were put to death testifying to it because they know it happened and they can't not share it. Like what would possess you to do that unless it was true and unless you centered your life around this experience that you had. And though I may be wrong about some of these other things, there was this point in time where my heart burned within me and I've got to talk about that and I've got to center my life experience around that and I've got to weigh that against other experiences that I see in scripture. And so when I began thinking about all that and sort of breaking it all down, like I said, this was a turning point for me. I began realizing like, man, the disciples are no different than us. They had an experience with Jesus. Now, granted, it was a longer one than what we have and they had encounters with the spirit, but they also faced a lot of uncertainty. They also faced a lot of unknowns and a few things that they, they ended up being wrong about, but they anchored everything around that experience that they had with Jesus. And, and for me, that's sort of where everything else in their life sort of spiraled out of. And that's where I see my stories aligning with the depiction in scripture. So when I talk about rooting your story into the story of the scripture, your encounter into the encounters in scripture and using that as the measuring stick, this is what I'm talking about. So I've spoken a really long time today. There's one more encounter I could share. And it's really about how I ended up here at First Baptist. And it's one of those where there's no like light in the sky sort of thing, but it was a series of things that happened to me. And when I look back at them, I see the obvious hand of God at work even to this day. Um, but I, I don't have time to sh- share that now. And I also want to kind of just leave that out there as a cliffhanger to encourage anybody to ask me out for lunch or coffee sometime. And I'll tell you about that <laughs> one. Um, I'll also talk more later on as we get into the next couple of weeks about times of memorializing these or remembering our experiences. Um, some of that is what we're doing now, Sam, by having these, these discussions. Uh, but I want to turn it over to you, Sam, now, and just hear from some of your stories and, and then open it up for maybe a little bit of questioning for us back and forth before we, uh, before we wrap this up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with it's, it's strange and it, it's kind of funny. We did that world communion day a couple weeks ago and one of the ladies from first missionary came up and she's like, Oh, how are you doing? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know you. What's your name? And she's like, of course, you know me, John. And I'm like, I, I'm not John. Uh, but just to say that I feel like some of my story sounds like some of your story too. Nice. Um, you, to, be, it, to be fair, you work with the young adults and you have a beard. Yeah. So yeah. And we are both uh, somewhat vertically challenged. That is correct. <laughs> um so much like you, I mean I guess I'll just follow the same basis you do. Um or you did. At least in my life, I think there have been three different categorizations of Holy Spirit experiences. There is the the small ones that you're like, there is there something to this? Is there something? Is there something special about it? Or maybe I should say four. There are the ones where you think there might be something to it, and you're just like, I'm not quite sure, and then you might be like, yeah, that was a Holy Spirit thing. There are the things where you're like, huh, what about this? And you realize, after the fact, it's a Holy Spirit thing. There are the big things that just, you know, doors seem to, like, open up. There are these big things. And then the fourth one, I would say, is something that, after the fact, you look backward at the road that you just traveled, and you're like, that was a Holy Spirit thing. Like, that was a God thing. Like, that I didn't manage to make my way through that winding path. Um, by myself without having some sort of um, hand in it. Right. So much like you, um, I didn't grow up in a Baptist church. My family also had some issues with the church that was that we grew up in, which was a Lutheran church. Um, and I, I did have kind of a pull toward ministry. Just, I mean, I enjoyed being a church. I enjoyed the church. I enjoyed the community of church. I really looked up to um the priest at the church and that just kind of became a a normal thing i don't think it was until high school that that became to develop a little bit further um but it really didn't even further develop for me until after college i think i felt a little bit in high school but i didn't know what to do with it um one of the troubles that um fortunately first baptist doesn't have to deal with is for some churches the young adult or the youth pastor job can be very much one of transition where someone comes in Mm -hmm. and leaves so the youth pastors that we had were leaving almost on a 12 to 18 month basis. So any sort of relationship you would build would go out the window. So even though I thought there might be something to going into ministry or pursuing that in some degree just was untenable because I couldn't have a relation or a conversation about it. So it really wasn't until a little bit later that there was just this whole series of events um, that I'll probably misremember the, the exact order. Um, yeah. But much like you, just being in church and being like, I really enjoy studying the Bible. I really enjoy teaching the Bible. I really enjoy being here and kind of experiencing the wholeness of being in community within this place. 
I was like, and that's normal, right? And people are like, nah, no, not, that's not normal. And that's not to say that if you don't enjoy those things, that makes you a bad Christian. And also, I don't want any of this to sound like your pen, pen ultimate most goal in life should be a pastor or a missionary. Right. Um, God has a, a plan for each of us. This just happens to be uh, yours and mine, John, and they seem somewhat similar, which is perhaps just unique to the calling of ministry. But realizing that there was just something different about my interest and my desires. Um, you know, the, the first real international trip I went on was to Haiti. And so I, I went, I was working in the corporate world. I called my first donor to be like, hey, would you be willing to give some money? And they were like, how much? And I was like, well, you just have to give a little bit. And they were like, how much is the whole trip? And I was like, well, this, but you don't have to give that much. And they're like, no, it's fine. I'll give you the whole thing. And so that just like made it really easy for me. Um, and I went to Haiti and the, the greater context is I was working in advertising and we were just blowing tons of money. We just had the holidays, went to a Christmas party and spent a ton of money on the Christmas party. And I got to Haiti in the midst of a lot of things going on in my life and swirl in just this uncomfortable undercurrent. Um, I did feel a weight later on, kind of like you talked about, but there was just this uneasy undercurrent of my life that I didn't know what to do with. And just realizing that my life was complete. When I was in Haiti, I realized my life was completely inconsistent with the things that I said I believed about the Bible. Right? You go to Haiti and it just puts things in a perspective for those of you who may not have gone on mission, there's kind of this little like cliche joke is that you go to the mission field to bless someone else and you find out that you're the one who gets blessed by going into the mission field. And I, I very much, um, that very much resonates with me. So I got back, realized I needed to change some things about my life. Um, and I didn't realize that anything was going on. I was just like, hey, this is just part of my Christian walk. But it continued. And then I, I came to some some turmoil in my working relationship, and I was like, I, I, this just can't be what I'm supposed to do. Like this, I just don't feel easy about this. So someone mentioned something like, well, in high school with this other church back home, didn't you talk about wanting to be in ministry or something? What about that? And I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. Like there was no like stopping. It was just immediate like, no, that's stupid. Like why would I want to be a minister? That's so dumb. Um, I, it, it just when I was thinking about that, by the way, yeah. <laughs> like I remember some of my earliest thoughts about it was, uh, this was probably when I was really young, and I, I was like, oh, I could be a pastor, but then I was like, oh, I'll probably run out of things to say after about three years. Like you could probably <laughs> only do that for so long, which yeah. is hilarious because if you know me, like I could talk forever. So mm. yeah, um, so yeah, it just seemed very ridiculous to me, but it just again that undercurrent just kind of stuck with. And it progressed from just being an uneasy undercurrent to this like suffocating weight, if that makes sense, uh, where I didn't feel like I was dying. I just didn't feel like my life could breathe um, because I was sitting underneath it. And so I am very skeptical, as we talked about in the Know Thyself. I mean, I guess I wasn't there, but I'm a five, so I'm very cerebral and a lot of things, emotions are very hard for me. Um, and so just going along with that, I want to be able to um, reconcile and think through things and understand things and approach stuff from that perspective. So naturally i leaned into being skeptical so i called one of my good buddies that i'm good friends with and i was like hey man something's going on in my life um i need some direction and some wisdom but i'm not going to tell you what it is and i'm going to be as possibly vague as i can be um because if i'm going to do something serious and crazy with my life that i've thought is crazy up until this point then it has to be a god thing so we agreed to not talk about it for a couple months and then get back together and talk about it again and he said when i approached him i was like well, hey, man, what do you think? What did you come to? And he said, well, I don't know. But right when you said that you wanted me to pray for something and direction for you, it came to my mind that we need a male lead for one of our small groups for in the youth ministry. And I was like, well, shucks. Yeah. I guess I guess maybe I need to pay attention to this because this is something, right? If, you know, at some point you have to decide whether you're going get to get out of the boat and try to walk on water. So I did that and very much used it as a, a time of discernment to figure out what's going on and got increasing, increasingly closer to the idea of, well, maybe ministry is something that I want to go do. Um, but even then, I was like, there are at least, and I wrote them down, there are at least five reasons that I can't go to seminary. I am too old. I do not have money to go. I don't have time. I'm working. I work a lot. I have relationships and things that I'm busy with, places that I'm volunteering. There's no seminary for me to go to that I'm aware of. I do not have the educational background or the time to take the tests like, you know, the graduate testing exams or go through application processes or whatever whatever else and i kid you not over the course of oh, like a month and a half i found out that oh yeah you know actually and i in a very objective way 
I found out that, oh yeah, a lot of ministers that are going to seminary are actually getting older. This notion of younger seminarians is really much something of the past. They're people in their mid to late 20s or even older. It's skewing older. And I was like, okay, well, I guess maybe I don't have that one anymore. And I was like, but I don't have any money because I'm young. I'm still paying on student loans, whatever, whatever else. Someone mentioned, well, you know, if you ever wanted to do seminary or anything, our church has a scholarship that would pretty much pay for you know, 75% of it each year. And if you didn't want to go that route, there is a big scholarship fund that would just pay for all of it and give you money for books and other things if you need it. Oh, and our senior pastor at the church that you attend is on the board there. So you're pretty much a shoe in for it. So I, like, I okay. need that deal, dude. Yeah. yeah. I'm still so paying was, for mine. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, uh, I guess I, I'm not too old. I guess there is money. I was like, okay, well, I, I don't have time. That, that's still a big one. I can't do that. Um, and so the no time and no place to go, I found out, well, not only did the church that I went, that I was attending in Northern Virginia, not only did they start a seminary in their church that was now only like 15 minutes away um, and, you know, accredited and all those other things, but it was a night school and they had scheduled all of their classes around to make it possible so that people who had to work all day or had families or other things could still go at night to take classes, do the coursework and still get full credit for it. So it's like, okay, well, I guess... I, you know, those are not a problem anymore. And then I was like, but education, like I don't have an undergraduate degree in religion or anything close. I don't have the time to go study or do these testings. I don't know what the application process looks like. And they were like, oh, well, good news, because lots and lots and lots of people go to seminary who don't do it. They were like, oh, yeah, the guy who's in charge of the uh, Baptist Joint Commission on Religious Liberty or whatever, Brent Walker at the time, who's a good friend, and I probably just butchered that organization. But they said, yeah, he uh, he went to law school, and then he went to seminary. He had nothing to do with seminary or church before then, but he just realized that was part of his uh, part of his journey that God was calling him to. And there was no extra testing. You just had to give him a sample of your writing, do some interviews, have some references. And I was like, well, shoot, like all of these things. And I was like, God, no, this is not going to happen. I am not going to do this. It's like, well, all of these things I held up, I realize don't hold any weight anymore. So again, am I going to do it or am I not? So this was a big time in my life where I had to make a lot of decisions, but a lot of things just came up. And in a way, there's a point in which you have to realize, I think in your Christian life that sure, there are, there are coincidences, you know, sometimes just things happen. Um, but there are also times where if you get coincidence and coincidence and coincidence, it's no longer a coincidence and it becomes a God thing. And I think that's very much what it is. Even my journey here was very much a God thing. Um, but to go back to say that I think there are different types of, Holy Spirit movement in life, you know, it can look all sorts of different types of ways. Like for us, in the fall, we we kind of toyed around and kicked around the idea of doing an online worship service. We we're like, oh, you know, why don't we do this? You know, we're a big church. We have the resources to do it. Let's just go ahead and do it. We didn't really think much about it. And then boom, coronavirus hit. We were like, well, what do we do? And we're like, well, why don't we just videotape and just put it on the place we already have? You know, taking care of it. It's like someone already knew that coronavirus was going to happen. And in talking with Brian Temple, who leads up all of our media stuff this past week while we were recording our sermon, we're kind of just talking about God things, you know, Holy Spirit things. And he said, yeah, even the TV ministry that we have that was put together in the 80s, was like, yeah, I think it was more of a, let's see if we can do it. Like, you know, TV ministry, that would be cool. Some places have it, but it's not necessarily huge. But let's just see if we can do it. Let's just see if we can pull it together. And who would have known that, you know, here in 2020, we would be reaching what, 14,000 households, and that doesn't count all of the sets of eyeballs that are watching, right? If right. you have multiple people in households, and that doesn't include people coming in on Sunday mornings, and the people who watch it after the fact, or, right? So even there, even though for them it was just a, huh, this would be interesting, like, I think that's still a God thing that's moving, and God thing that's happening. And I think you're right in the sense that, sure, we are, we're in ministry, and we've been called to ministry, but everyone is going to be affected at some point in time by the dark night of the soul. And that's the the title of a poem, and it's it's really difficult. And for ministers and church people, I think it can be a very lonely experience because we're supposed to be the people who have the answers. And in our other podcast on songs, I mentioned a quote from Bono that said that he really didn't like Christian music because it didn't deal with the doldrums right. of life. Um, that we very much expect that Christian life, if you're a Christian, should be all good news and happiness and joy. But it's not always that way. And so we need music and we need language and we need relationships to be able to engage us and undergird us in this situation. And and if you ever read through the Bible, like it becomes very clear that it's not always that way for the vast majority of the people of God. Mm. That's a good point. Um, and largely, and I think what's really important 
is just how deeply and desperately we should cling to the witness of the community of believers. Um, you know, we can talk about the Bible as one basis of community and witness of believers, right? Because the Bible is a recording of people who are saying, yes, yeah, something crazy happened. This is what it is. Oh, you have a story like this too, where you flip the pages in the Old Testament and you're like, oh, it's consistent there too. And you're like, there's something to this. But even more recently, right? We need those people in our lives around us to very much hold us and pray with us and help guide us through it, right? Because there's there is something to be said about discernment when interacting with the Holy Spirit, right? God exists on a plane that we can't fully comprehend, but still reaches down to engage with us at a level. Um, and still, there's still, there is still some onus on us to under, to figure out and discern and go through that process. And so we need the people in the community around us to help us through that process. Um, and I know you had a great illustration of, from the Bible of what you really think about, um, when it comes to some of your experiences, and I think what really resonates to me, and it's going to be a little more abstract. So I think for me, I don't have a, a super refined narrative story in the sense that you did, John, that really speaks to you about your Holy Spirit experiences. But one that really sticks with me and I think a lot about, and I just picture a time where I was sitting at a stoplight on the country and I was just watching this tall grass next to me being blown around. And there was no rhyme or reason and I didn't really understand it, but I could just watch the grass being blown. So in John 3, 8, it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And just to that point, and why I started with giving these different versions of the way I think I've seen the Holy Spirit in my life, is that I can't always tell where it's coming from. And I don't necessarily always have the ability to say like, oh, this is totally a God thing right now. I need to hold on to it. But sometimes it takes the perspective of distance or history to look back. God did something really cool. You know, sometimes we are given the opportunity to see it in the moment. That's really cool too. And I think the biggest thing is just being open for it and willing to see what God might be doing. One of my former pastors talked about a conversation he had with a little old a little old man driving through Virginia, and he was very much saying, Hey, you know, I've been a pastor for a long time. I'm at a church, and I just don't feel like I've seen God doing anything for a long time. And I just don't know what to do with about do about it. And the little old man, as they're driving along this little strip, he's like, what, what are you talking about? I look over here and I see how this church was about to fall apart and then something miraculous happened and now the church is booming. Or I look at this and I see how God has done something here. And the pastor was kind of just taken back, you know, feeling like he just got preached to by a non-pastor. Just like, holy cow, I just haven't been paying attention to see what God has been doing in the world around me. And I'm guilty of that. And that's something that I try to do better every day is just look to see like, what is God doing around me? What is God doing in my life? Um, you know, even earlier in the podcast, I mentioned it's kind of been a whirlwind of a couple of weeks, but it's, you know, still trying to take a step back and say, like, I believe that God is still who the Bible says he is, that he is living and active and he is among us and he's at work in us and around us. And I just have to take the patience and take the time to look and see where the wind of God is blowing. Yeah, it's good words, man. Um, it makes me think, by the way, you talked about the dark night of the soul. We can we can link to that in the show notes. and then. Um, my reference to the feeling that there's something that, that won't let you go. There's a, there's a, another work that, uh, I guess illustrates that probably better than most called the hound of heaven. Just this idea of, of being chased by God or pursued by God or, or just God having a grip on, on you and not letting you go. And I, I would say that was, that's been my sense, at least through that, that, that dark time. I would also say, you know, getting back to towards the, the end of what you were saying, it, it's really important to share our stories with each other. I think, um, you know, I, I shared mine. I've, I've had, I guess you could say, you know, one or two of mine are sort of dramatic. I've not had super dramatic things. Like I, I do know of people that ha, that, that would say they heard an audible voice. I've never had that experience. I shared last time I, I grew up uh, going in and out of Pentecostal churches. I saw my family speak in tongues. I've never, been led to speak in tongues i don't think that is is the type of experience that we're talking about here for for reasons that i alluded to earlier but i've not had that sort of thing i know of people who have had an experience where someone they didn't know has come up and said i feel like i have a word for you from the lord and have shared details that there's no way they should have known uh, that's not happened to me i wish it would have I, there's been times i've been like god can, can you make this this clear for me 
and I've not had that happen. Um, and I have not had, you know, I've had times where, you know, people have said, I got such and such in the mail and it was an answer to prayer. It's never happened to me before. Uh, but I've heard those stories and I trust people who have told me stories like that. And I say that to say, you know, I think it's very important because those sort of things do help me get through. Now, it's also very easy to say, oh, it's just a coincidence. It's also easy to say, that's just your conscience. And I think there's a difference. Um, I think it can be that. Or I think there can be times, for instance, where I'm looking at having surgery in a couple of weeks or months. And it's going to be routine surgery. Like, I'm not, my life's not going to be in danger or anything like that. Um, I could very easily say, hey, I'm having surgery. Sam, will you pray for me? And you could be like, yes. And I could come through and be fine and be like, that was an answer to prayer. But I also could say nothing and still come through. You know, like there are people every day who go through semi-routine things like that, who don't ask for prayer, who make it through. So at what point do you draw the line between this is, like God did this, God answered this, or or it's just happenstance? Um, and I think that's where measuring our stories against one another, measuring our stories against Scripture come into play. Because um, there are, I think, sometimes just ordinary things of life that we probably attribute to God more often than we should. And I think that keeps us from looking for Him in some of the bigger moments when we should. I also say, you know, getting back to my football story, I hesitate to tell that one because it's so it's trivial. And I know of a person that was friends with Emily for a really long time who was, she was one of those who left the faith. Um, she talked about one time how um, somebody she knew had a child who somehow uh, his finger had gotten cut off and they, you know, packaged it nice and ran to the hospital and she was praying like, God, please restore his finger. And it did. And she was like, isn't that a great answer to prayer? And this person that Emily knew was like, I prayed for my child's life and my child died. Like, why, why would God save that kid's finger and not my child? And so I say that to say, like, there are things I think that we attribute to God and we mean well, and I think they can be detrimental. Um, so, so I do think it's, a, it's, um, we need to be careful in the way we talk about this but we do need to share and we do need to weigh things. And and I think we do need to determine like when are, when are, when are there times that something's just, you know, pretty routine and it's the result of modern medicine or modern science or modern living or whatever. And when are there things that are like really something from outside of us was at work here? Um, so as you are thinking of your own stories and shaping stories and listening to other people's stories, you know, I encourage you to think about that sort of thing. Sam, I don't know if you have anything to add to that before we wrap this up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just remembering the fact that any experience we have with God, we are still present as our fallen beings. So one time I was with some people who were talking about, you know, the random occurrences where someone might have a word for someone else. And they're like, instead of going and saying, this is definitive word, maybe go up and say, like, I recognize, like, this could just be me. But I think, but I think this is what God might be trying to say to you. And I just don't know, but I just want to leave it with you. Like, I don't yeah. want to go through and be like, oh, yeah, or actually, no, I meant this. Like, right, because you don't want to step to, you don't want to encroach into what God may be doing or attribute something to God that God's not doing. Right. Um, so I, I think there's. That's a good point. Don't be so certain, you know, that you you attribute things to God that, that may not be from, yeah. from God. So I think just, you know, one of the biggest metaphors, and we talked about it, is just this, like, great goose chase, right? There's that book. Um, I can't remember the the name of the author, but just this Mark idea Patterson. that, yeah, yeah, that trying to understand and follow the Holy Spirit is a lot like a wild goose chase. Yeah. So you're you're trying to do your best, and it will always seem like maybe it's just right out of grip, or you don't quite understand what it's doing, or why it's doing, or whatever, whatever else. Um, but I think there's a fun adventure in it too. You know, keeping your eyes open to see the exciting things that that God is doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, today was a great discussion, Sam, and I appreciate you sharing. Like I said earlier, we will be back next week with Kristen Prasad, our minister to kids and families here at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama. And we will hear her stories and see how they line up with what we've shared today, what we see in Scripture, and maybe you'll get to hear a few similarities to your own story. I want to remind you as well that wherever you are listening to this, give us a like and a share. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can like or comment on YouTube and listen on spotify i think that's all you can do there i've not noticed on, on spotify there's any way you can like rate or anything like that but whatever share us on social media as well wherever you have accounts whether it's facebook instagram twitter whatever love for you to share if this if this 
podcast is helping you at all in any way. And let us know if it is resonating with you as well. We'd love to hear your stories. We are always open to grabbing a coffee or meal to swap stories with one another, especially if you're in North Alabama. That invitation is open anytime, but particularly with regard to this topic, we want to make sure we invite you to that uh, this month as well. And finally, catch us anytime over at www.fbchsv.org slash youngadults. You will find all sorts of info about what we have going on in and around Huntsville. And if you're in the area, we'd love for you to join us for any of that. So with all that said, we're going to wrap this up. So for myself and for Sam Maxwell, thank you all so much for listening with us this week. We will see you next time. And until then, we hope you have a wonderful week.